I'm doing a sermon out of the series The Best Life called Watch Out. In the middle of Philippians, Paul starts to mention some things. Now remember, Paul's writing, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written by the finger of God through man. These words are penned for us. And he says, watch out. And that's what I'm calling this sermon today, watch out. And there are three things that he lists that he wants us to be very careful about as believers, and and a couple of them might surprise you. But there are things that we need to be aware of as we go through life as believers in Jesus Christ so that we're not tripped up or uh, derailed. My mother said, watch out to me a lot. She's here today, and my dad's here. I love them so much. They were pastors here for 15 years, so many of you know them and love them. But my mom, she had a, she had a tough go with me as a child because I had over 160 stitches in my head before I was 12 years old. And uh, multiple injuries, no broken bones, uh, but, but broken skin quite often. And I had other injuries on my body, and I'll tell you about one now. And often they happened because she said, be careful, and I wasn't. Watch out, and I didn't. One of those times is when I was 10 or 11 in Keys, California. I was dropped off for baseball practice. Nobody was there yet. And my mother, knowing me, said, son, don't take your shoes off. Leave your shoes on because there's glass out there sometimes in the park from those beer drinkers from late at night. She got down the road, and I don't know why. I guess it was, I was just such an ornery kid. When I saw her pull away, I kicked my shoes off. And I took those socks off and I ran and jumped over a little brick wall. You ever seen those in the park? They're about this wide and about this tall. And I jumped over. I couldn't wait for that grass to tickle my feet because it feels so good, right, to be barefooted in the park. And when I got at the height just over that fence, I looked down and there was broken glass everywhere. Just as my mother had said, and in a moment that flashes, you know. And You know in the cartoons you can turn around in midair, but in real life you can't do it. (laughs) If you could, I would have turned around. But I looked for a spot to place my feet just so I could miss the glass. And I found a place for my toe. But when my, my momentum hit, my heel came down really hard on a bottom of a pop bottle uh, glass. And it just sliced me with a very deep cut. And I started bleeding profusely. You know, it's one of those where you're looking and you see a cut and no blood. And you think, well, that looks bad, but there's no blood. And then, here it comes, you know. So I look down the road, it's about a half mile down, it's straight, no traffic, just mom at a stop sign, I can still see her way down there, and I yell, come back, I'm hurt, and she can't hear me, so she just goes on. I have to go to a house, the first house I go to, I knock on the door, I'm bleeding all over the place, and they shut the door in my face, I scared them, I guess, thought that wasn't very nice, so I squeezed it a little harder, a little more blood there, and then I went to the next house... And the person who answered the door was deaf. It was a deaf couple. And that doesn't work on the phone. I'm having trouble here. But they had a son and the son called the doctor and they took me to the doctor and called my parents and they showed up and they always put the needle right in the spot that's hurt, man. Put it anywhere, but don't put it in there. Uh, But they did and it caused me all this grief and about eight stitches and all because my mother said, watch out and I didn't listen. You know, God says watch out sometimes too. And I learned through all those injuries eventually that when mom and dad say, watch out, be careful, beware, it's because they love me, not because they want to control me. And when God says, beware, watch out, it's not because he wants to control you. He loves you and he wants to bless your life. Sometimes we don't listen to his advice and we don't take it to heart. Proverbs 28, 26 says this, those who trust their own insight are foolish. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. 
today in Philippians 3, we're going to look at the wisdom of God, and he's going to say, watch out, and I'm hopeful that we'll all take it to heart. The first thing he said, watch out for is this, watch out for the legalists. Philippians 3, 2. Watch out for those dogs. Wow, that's severe. Because he means dogs not in the sense of your cute little Fifi that you have at home that you love and your life revolves around them. Not that dog. This is talking about those strays that are on the edge that are scavengers and will get together and get, get mean and will hurt people even at times. It's those kind of dogs he's talking about. And he's calling these legalist dogs. That's, that's, that's intense, man. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. And what he means is the circumcision of heart, that it's not about this outward physical thing. It's, it's about inwardly Jesus really changing our lives. So he called these teachers of legalism dogs, evil, mutilators. What's that mean? Well, dogs... Uh, he's referring to them as that because these are the ones who are not declaring the full counsel of God. That's what he means by dog. And, if, and, and, and it's not just taking away from that makes you a false teacher, but it's adding to that makes you a false teacher. And God doesn't like it when we take away, you know, we ignore parts uh, that he has in the words, but he doesn't like it when we add to either. And the legalists like to add rules along the way to prove spirituality. And he has a problem with these teachers who do these things. He calls them evil because they're people who are leading others away from the truth of God. He calls them mutilators because they're trying to make it about physical circumcision when really it's about knowing Jesus and having him in your heart. And he's saying those guys are messed up. Don't, don't listen to them and don't become one of them. Here's a good definition of legalist. It's someone who makes obedience to rules, not relationship with Jesus, the premium focus in their walk with God. They make it about rules and not relationship. They end up adding extra rules along the way because of this, and then they judge others by their made-up rules. The result of their actions is a very high opinion of themselves and a very low opinion of everyone else. I like what Max Lucado says, that prolific author, that great Christian writer. He says, legalism makes my opinion your burden, makes my opinion your boundary, makes my opinion your obligation. You know what? There's a difference between standards and convictions and righteousness. I, I think it's good that people have standards and convictions. If you have had problems with gambling... Uh, you, may, you might want to make it a standard that since you've been delivered from it, you don't play poker anymore. But some people don't gamble when they play poker, right? And, and, but, but, but we tend to project so many things on other people because, because we don't understand the difference between standard and conviction and righteousness. It's okay to have a conviction if, if, if you've had alcohol destroy your family, a conviction that you don't want to do it. But yet we project so much on others sometimes and we need to really be careful about not becoming legalistic. Let me tell you something about made-up rules. Um, they're confusing. They're confusing to people in the church and they're confusing to people in the world. I remember years ago when I became the district youth director for the Assemblies of God and this was... How many years ago, Karen? Uh, 20, 27 years ago or so. Uh, I was, uh, it must have been, it must have been um, 
it must have been 25 because I'm 52 now. Um, but, but when I first became the, the district youth director, I was in charge of 12 summer camps. I'm sorry, about eight summer camps in 12 weeks. And during that time, um, we were not uh, allowed to have kids in shorts, which seems weird. You know, you're trying to get an unbelieving kid to come to camp and go, yeah, just one thing, you can't wear shorts. Well, how come? Well, because it's bad, evidently. I don't know, you know, because the camp says. So when I came in, the, one of the rules I wanted to change was, was that rule. And I sat with 17 guys in blue suits as a 26-year-old and said, you know, I'd like to change that rule. And they go, that's, that's, that's a rule we've had for years. And, and one time we allowed kulaks to be in the camp. I didn't even know what kulaks was. I had to ask, you know. And it was terrible because there's a bad spirit and there was underwear up the flagpole by the end of the week. Honest to goodness, that was my underwear that was up the flagpole. Some junior high boys did it on my birthday, right? <clears throat> And they go, oh yeah, those were, those were mine. You know, so I'm trying to explain this to these guys. <clears throat> and then I, I told them, look, when, when you're trying to get kids to come to camp and unbelievers to come to camp, they don't get it because it's, it's, it's not a rule that God has made. It's just a rule that we've put in there because we like it. And here's the rule about clothing, by the way. It's modesty. Now, now, I know people can have different interpretations of that, but that's the biblical standard, is that we'd be modest in our, in our dress. And so we had, no joke, a two-and-a-half-hour conversation about this. We had three votes, and the third vote, they voted to keep the current policy, and they thought it won because it passed by one vote, but the bylaws say you have to pass by two-thirds to have a rule, and the superintendent said, well, I want you to know, we just voted that policy out, so we have to find out what the new policy is. It didn't pass by two-thirds. We came out of there with a, with a policy where kids could wear shorts. And unbelievably, over the next few years, the camps really grew. More, I told them, you can't get unbelievers to come. They don't get it. It's weird to them. And why would we take a rule that's not a God rule and make big deals about it? We're hurting people. Well... That, that's the kind of thing that can happen if we're not careful. Legalists focus on rules and they don't understand that the key is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. What, I'm, what I mean here as I bring this in is, is because you obey some man-made rules, you think you're doing better or people think they're doing better, you can't do that. That's not how you get saved. It's by grace alone. We can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. So no one can boast about it. The reason we need to keep it about a relationship with Jesus Christ, I guess it's twofold. You make it about rules and everybody will get harsher before long. You make it about relationship and people coming closer to Jesus and everybody starts loving and caring more about people because that's who Jesus is. And you know what? Jesus fixes people when they come to him. And I know that there are boundaries in the word and you know one of, one of the good clean boundaries that we shouldn't cross is that we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage and we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's a clear biblical boundary. It's okay to say those things because that's clear. But then we say, don't go to this movie or that movie and look. I, I don't know that God ever wrote that down in the Bible, but I tell you, you, you need to be careful about your watch. But for goodness sake, don't throw your standards and convictions on everybody else. We follow God. God shows us. And, and 
We need to make it about relationship with Jesus, not you're a better Christian if you do it with my standard or my conviction. We need to be careful. I like what one preacher said. Pastor Ed said this, you cannot really appreciate Christ if you think you have to earn your own salvation. Although Christ was a theologian, an ethicist, a rabbi, a prophet, and a king, he is first of all a savior, someone who does the saving, all of it. He does it all. It's grace. It's mercy. It's offered to us freely. We don't earn it. Beware of dogs. Don't become a dog. Dogs underemphasize Jesus and they overemphasize rules. And God says, watch out for that. Second thing I see in this text today, watch out for self-confidence. Now, um, I don't think confidence is bad in and of itself, but if that's what drives you as a believer that you think, I can get this done, I think there are, there are two things that can stop people when they're doing a work for Christ. One is that they have more confidence in themselves uh, and they're not looking to Jesus. And another is, is that they, they think they can't do anything. Both of those are devastating because it's Christ in us that does amazing work and Christ can be in all of us, right? Well, but self-confidence can become an issue when you're working on your own power, your own merit, your own litany of great things that you've done and past history. Philippians 3, verse 3 says this, we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, Paul says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then he starts to share, because he was religious before he found Jesus, but he, had, he, he didn't know Christ. And in his religion as a Pharisee and a Hebrew, he was more religious than all of them. So he, he shows what he has done. And he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strict disobedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he tells him this list, and then he's going to say, you know, none of these things really mean anything. He's trying to correct things, but let me just go through that list first of all so you can see what he had, what he had done. When it says he was circumcised at eight days old, that was required by the law. So the most spiritual families, at eight days old, that little guy got circumcised. Secondly, uh, he said, I'm an Israelite, pure-blooded, and that's God's chosen nation, God's chosen people, and, and, and people took pride in that. He says, I'm a tribe of Benjamin. That's kind of a big deal if you're, if you're Jewish and a, and a Hebrew because uh, that was the first tribe that the king came from. Remember Saul? He, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the only tribe that stayed loyal to David. David was of the tribe of Judah and, and the tribe of Benjamin stayed loyal and the other 10 tribes revolted in the Old Testament if, if you know that uh, story. And so they, they were the faithful tribe. And then there was the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee. There are only 6,000 of them. That's all they had. They kept the minutest details of the law. They were seen as holy and pious. And they created new rules to show how holy and pious they were. He had done all these things. He said, and I'm zealous about Judaism. I'll say he was. Because he went around dragging Christians out of their homes, out of buildings and, and, and churches, and incarcerating them so that they might be killed. He was so zealous about his religion that he was, he was for killing Christians. You know, that's a problem with legalism. It gets so zealous that it, that it decides it's, it's best and good to hurt people. 
because they're not right. And it's the wrong spirit. Look what he said in Philippians 3, verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about this litany of his accomplishments in religion. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul counts it all as worthless. Why? Because he's thinking wrong in those days. It's the saving grace of Jesus that does it. It's a personal, intimate relationship with him where you can know him and he knows you and he leads you and guides you and you love him and you feel his love. It may sound foreign to you, but it's as real as it can be. And when you make it about accomplishments or things that have happened, and although I want to keep in mind here that these dogs didn't know Jesus, I think we need to be careful in the church sometimes because we'll get all excited about our accomplishments. We'll talk about our, our third generation pedigree as preachers or we'll talk about, well, my mom's led that ministry for 17 years or I've been in this church you know, for 35 years or, 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 or some dummy might even say, I've been a pastor for 20 years and I'm a pretty big deal. Why don't you guys know it? People just say dumb stuff. But we don't want to be that way. Because his kingdom is very different than the kingdom of this world. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Wow. God wants us to know that there's no pedigree and it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or even what your talent ability is. That's not what gets it done. Jeremiah 9 Verse 23 says this. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise, excuse me, boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast, boast in this alone. That's worth saying again. Boast in this alone that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. Isn't it interesting that he described himself with love? As a matter of fact, there's another place in the New Testament where it says God is love who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things, I, the Lord, have spoken. The mature follower of Christ does not boast in what they've done or where they've been or what their talents and abilities are. That's why we say here at Horizon, you've heard it through the years, Horizon Community Church is a place where everybody is somebody and Jesus is all. Everybody counts. Every person is just as important as the other. And Jesus is everything. I appreciate the honor that you have given me today. Uh, There's a place in the Bible where where it says to honor uh, leaders. And and man, it's humbling. And yet, I want to say to you that every good thing that has happened here at Horizon is because of Jesus Christ. He's done the work through his people. Years ago, my friend Larry had a dream, and and this isn't Bible right here, and it's not even history, but it's just a dream, but God uses dreams, and this this one is, I've remembered it when when he told it to me years ago. In his dream, Larry said that he he was caught up, and he, he came to this place in the sky where there are two long lines, and on one line, the line on the left, people were being dragged away screaming. And he knew that they were being dragged in his mind to outer darkness into this place called hell. In the other line, people were receiving a crown and they were walking away, but with the crown they were weeping uncontrollably. He said he was glad to be in the line where the crowns were being given out in his dream. And, he's, and he wondered, why is everybody crying? 
The closer he got, he could see Jesus mumbling something and they all started crying the moment the crown hit their heads. And when it became his turn, he said that he stood before Jesus. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. He put that crown on his head in this dream. And Larry said the moment the crown hit his head, he realized that every good thing that had ever happened on the earth that he had done was not actually him. That Jesus Christ was responsible for every good thing that had been done through him. And he said it was so humbling to him that it was all Jesus that he began to weep and he knew why everyone was crying. That makes us all candidates, doesn't it? I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but Jesus can move through every one of us and get glory for his name and draw people to himself. I pray that this will be something that comes from my heart, but from yours as well in Galatians 6.14. It says, as for me, as for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's the truth. I'm a total doofus. If you knew my family in California and how bad they were, you might be a little bit afraid of me. They're so bad. I mean, except for the grace of God, I might be in jail too. I, I, know, I don't think I'd have been a good guy without Jesus. I'm having a hard time being good with him. <laughs> Every good thing that has happened through your life, through my life, it's really Jesus doing his work. And we want to give glory to him. Third thought. Another watch out. Be careful. To put nothing ahead of Jesus. Philippians 3. After this long list of achievements in the law, he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He just keeps bringing it back to Jesus. I love these Jesus churches. There's a bunch of them around us, you know it. I feel, some of them, they get really wild and they'll dance in some churches and some of them don't raise a finger and yet I can be in churches that have all different styles and you know what's familiar to me? The Spirit of Christ is there. The Holy Spirit is there drawing people to Jesus. They lift him up. They make it about the cross and God does awesome work when Jesus, his son, is lifted up because the Bible says when he's high and lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. For the sake, the infinite value of knowing and the sake of Jesus Christ my Lord. I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I might, so that I could gain Christ. So don't put anything ahead of Jesus. No person. I think, I think we, we need to be careful because I, you probably don't hear this much, but if you're not careful, you'll put your spouse ahead of Jesus. Their concern will be everything to you. And hey, I'm, I'm for great marriages, but the problem is you won't have the greatest marriage if Jesus isn't first. When Jesus is first, he teaches us to be kind and loving. He teaches us to be courageous when it, there must be a loving confrontation. He teaches us to do everything in such a way that we can grow together up in him. Jesus has to be first. If you're not careful, you'll put your kids ahead of Jesus. I've watched some people... Uh, and you heard it, I'm, I'm a sports guy, but I've watched some people get in so into sports that they disappear from the church. 
not just talking this church, but other churches as well. well. What are we teaching our kids when we're teaching them that? We're teaching them that sports is more important. Or you're teaching them that they're the most important. They should not be the most important thing in your life. Jesus should be. Because Jesus will make you a better dad, a better mom. He'll make your home awesome. He'll give you the right spirit so your kids grow up watching someone loving God, knowing what it is to serve, knowing that there's something greater than just the achievement that would bring a trophy, but achievement that would bring a crown of righteousness in heaven. We can't get things ahead of God because we get out of whack and then things start getting bad even in our families. Can't be about money. Can't be about cars or building. Has to be about Jesus. Can't be about friends that are first. Oh, you can have friends. You can have cars. You can have money. But you have to have Jesus first. Then you're the steward of everything you have. Then you're building a kingdom that's much greater than your own personal kingdom. And when Jesus is first, that's when life becomes the great adventure. That's when the joy kicks in. You say, I don't have that joy. Well, maybe, maybe something's out of whack with priorities. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not speaking to any one individual here, but maybe the Holy Spirit would speak to someone and say, you're a little out of whack there. And I think as Christians that we need to re-up with this Jesus first thing quite often. <laughs> because we can, just, we can just subtly be drifting away to even our hobby, right? I mean, hobbies can pull us away from Jesus because we just get so into them. You can have a hobby. You can play sports. You can do everything as under the Lord 100%, but put him first and make it all about him and you'll see the great adventure is amazing. Our purpose statement here at Horizon is this, encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. With their whole heart. In our staff meeting weekly, our, our chapel, we have a testimony time, basically, but, but, but we do it around that statement. Where have we seen people in, who've been encouraged to follow Jesus with their whole heart? Where are we seeing that happening among us? And then we'll talk about one of the kids in the school, one of the kids in the youth group, something that happened, somebody who got saved, somebody who their generous heart brought great blessing. There's all kinds of testimonies uh, about healing and, it, and we're encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole heart and, and then his work is happening amazingly among us. We have to ask ourselves, is my heart in the right place? Is Jesus really first? If he's not, one day we will wish he was. He's not trying to hurt us, he's trying to bless us. And when he's number one, the blessing, the true blessings really begin. It's all about knowing that he has greater wisdom and greater love and that he is right. And when we follow him, life is better, not worse. Near the end of the 19th century, a Swedish chemist named Alfred Nobel woke up one morning to read his own obituary in the local paper. And it read this way, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, died yesterday. He's the one who devised a way for more people to be killed in war than ever before. And he died a very rich man. It really bummed him out when he read that. You know, first of all, he wasn't dead. Secondly, that if he was dead, that'd be his legacy. It, it was his brother who had died. 
And the report had come out wrong and they thought it was him and then so they put his obituary in there. But the account, because he read the way that they had framed his life, had a profound effect on Alfred Nobel. And he decided he had lived for the wrong kind of thing. The means to kill people efficiently and for amassing a fortune in the process, he just thought that that's not going to be that rewarding in the end. So he initiated a turnaround in his life and he started this thing called the Nobel Peace Prize. It was awarded to the scientist or writer who had fostered peace the most that year. And here's what he said. Nobel had this turnaround in his life. He said, every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. Now I know that wasn't about Jesus, but the principle of we can start now and have amazing effect is still there. But let's take it to Jesus. No matter where you've been or I've been, if we start now to say, okay, you're first in everything. No one ahead of you. Doesn't matter where we've been or what the past says, we can start a new epitaph right now for our lives and it will be Jesus working through us to do awesome things. When he's first, we're filled with joy in our lives. When he's first, we know where to go and what to do because he's leading us. When he's first, we find the best life possible on this earth and that's what this series is called, The Best Life. When he's first, we're laying up eternal rewards in heaven that will never fade away. 1 John 5.20, I close with this scripture this morning. And we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, here it is, keeping first, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts.